All right. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Take your Bibles. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me just say thank you for having Wendy and I here this weekend. Uh, Your hospitality has been phenomenal. We had a great time at the uh, marriage conference this weekend. So for those of you that had opportunity to do that, we appreciate you coming out and doing that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're talking this morning about passing faith on to the next generation. What does it look like for us to pass faith on to the next generation? Generation And in researching for this sermon, I, I wanted to answer a specific question. And the question was this. How well are we doing currently at passing faith on to the next generation? How well are we doing that? And depending upon which study you read, the, the answer to that question is actually kind of surprising and a little depressing. 60 to 70 percent of college age or young adults abandon their faith after they leave home. 60 to 70 percent. Pew Research estimates that between 2015 and 2050, 106 million Christians will abandon their faith, while only adding 40 million over that same period of time. So if you, if you do the quick math there, That's a net loss of 66 million people from the Christian faith. That, of course, is barring some sort of a change. So the question becomes, what's going on in our churches or what's going on in our homes that's causing this mass exodus away from the faith? What's causing that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think, has something to say about that. Here's what Deuteronomy 6 says, beginning in verse 1. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may follow them into the land that you're about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands. I am giving you your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the place of slavery. 
So, as we start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's get a little perspective about context of what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the final book of the Pentateuch written around 1406 B.C. It's a series of sermons preached by Moses shortly before he dies. He's 120 years old. He's admonishing the Israelites to love the Lord and obey Him as they prepare to go in to the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 contains the thesis of the entire book. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses had seen the wild swings of the children of Israel. He had seen them trust the Lord, trust His deliverance as they crossed the Red Sea into freedom from the Egyptians. Moses had seen God feed the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. He saw the rebellion of the Israelites as they questioned God's method of deliverance from Egypt as they worshipped the golden calf, as they hesitated in fear at conquering the land that God had before them. Now... At the end of his life, Moses wants so badly for the children of Israel to obey the Lord and experience all the blessings that God has in store for them. So Moses kind of lays out some expectations in this sermon. And he basically says, here are, here are a few things that you, you're going to need to remember as you think about going in to the land of milk and honey, the promised land that God had given to them. And there are things that I think Moses would say to us today that if we are going to pass on faith to the next generation the way he was commanding the Israelites to do it, what are the things that we need to be doing? Number one, obey God completely. Obey God completely. Here's what God's Word says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. And I want you to listen as I read how many times Moses says something along the lines of follow or obey or command. Listen how many times he says this. He says, this is the command. The statutes and the ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them. Into the land that you're about to enter and possess, do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all His statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Over and over again in this text, you hear Moses' admonition to the children of Israel to obey. Over 20 times, just in the first six chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses is telling the Israelites, you have to do what God is commanding you to do. Once again, Moses is reminding them, God has spoken to us explicitly through the statutes and the commands that he has given us. And even beyond that, beginning in verse 4, here's what uh, Moses says. He says, listen Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Those opening words are what we call the Shema, what the Jews call the Shema. And basically, they would repeat these words every single day, at least twice a day, in every single Jewish home, they would repeat these words, listen Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Jews time and again throughout their history would have to be reminded of this truth because they would find themselves surrounded by or even owned by people who were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. So Moses is reminding them and he's reminding us there's one God worthy of our worship, one God worthy of our surrender, one God worthy of our hope, one God worthy of our Life And here they are once again with an opportunity to go into the promised land. And listen, Moses remembers what it was like the first time they were here. You remember what happened the first time. Moses, they get ready to go into the promised land and Moses sends in 12 spies. And they come back and 10 of them say, listen, it's an awesome place, but we do not need to go in there. Joshua and Caleb say, we need to go in and we need to take the land. We need to be obedient because this is the land that God has given us. They decide not to go in. And as a result of that, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 35, none of these men in this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. God basically promised the children of Israel, none None of you who are here, when you made this decision to not go into the promised land, none of you were going to make it in, including Moses himself. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that were allowed to see the God, the land that God had promised him. So not only should we obey God completely, but secondly, we should love God supremely. We should love God supremely. Here's what... Here's what Moses says beginning in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses is saying because there's only one God, one God worthy of our love, one God worthy of our devotion, because because there's this one God who has rescued them and is now bringing them into this promised land of milk and honey, He is worthy of their love. And He gives us and them three ways in which We should love God. He says, love the Lord with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now this is actually a common phrase. This heart, soul, strength phrase is actually a really common phrase in Deuteronomy. It's used eight times throughout the book. And it regards our love, our worship, and our obedience to God. Love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. Well, let's start with the heart. Love the Lord God with all your heart. The heart is the seat of the inner world of man. His intellect, his emotions, his cognitive abilities. The heart is the center of our passions and our affections. So it's not a love that's legalistic. It's not a love that is cold or unfeeling. Rather, it's done out of a deep sense of longing. God has captured the way we think the way we feel, and the way we act. And Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. But secondly, he says, love Him with all your soul. Now, most often in scriptures, uh, most often in the Scripture, the word soul is translated life or the totality of our being. It is our personality or our entire self-consciousness. When we love with our soul, we love with every part of us where the heart is the center of our intellect and our affections and passions, the soul is the essence of who we are, our deepest, most beliefs, and what make us uniquely us. So Moses here says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then he says, With all your strength. Now the word strength here is translated in a variety of ways in the Old Testament. But almost all of them relate to power, severity, intensity, 
or completeness. In other words, when Moses states that we should love God with all of our strength, he's saying it should be a love that overwhelms, not a love that is tepid or weak or passive, but strong, intense, vibrant, and hot. This command to love God was spoken by Jesus in all three synoptic Gospels. He referred to the command to love God as the greatest commandment. You remember in Luke's account of Jesus' interaction with that lawyer asking about eternal life, Jesus tells him that if he complies with the greatest commandment, then he will live. So it's clear from Moses to Jesus, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the expectation is the same. Love God supremely more than anything else. So we obey God completely. We love God supremely. Thirdly, we share God diligently. We share God diligently. Here's what Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 7 says, Repeat them, these words, to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Here Moses is telling the children of Israel, listen, if you want to pass on faith to the next generation, if you want to enjoy God's blessings, then one of the things that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to repeat these words. You're going to have to share the story of what God has done in your midst. You're going to have to share that with the next generation. And there is a personal nature to that. Notice that he says to them, repeat these words to your children. Let, the, let your children hear the words of God on your lips proceeding from your mouth. Allow your children to hear you read the word of God. When you're instructing them about life, let it be His words that govern how you parent and not your words. There is a personal nature to us talking about God to our friends, to our family, to our neighbor, to our children. But there's not just a personal nature to talking about God diligently. There is a persistent nature. Notice what Moses said. He says, talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. It happens not just every now and then. God's Word is a part of our lifestyle. God's words are a part of everything we do when we're in our home sitting around, we talk about God and His Word. When we're doing daily activities outside of our home, we talk about God and His Word. When we go to bed at night, we talk about God and His Word. When we wake up in the morning, we talk about God and His Word. There is a persistent nature to us proclaiming the goodness of God to others, especially to our families. That our friends and our families would see in us a lifestyle that is concerned more with God's perspective than with our perspective. That they would see in us a lifestyle that makes more of God than ourselves, more of His wisdom than our own, and more of His commands than our desires. That they would hear less, well, my opinion is, and they would hear more God's Word says. So we obey God completely, we love God supremely, we share God diligently, and fourthly, we remember God's grace faithfully. We remember God's grace faithfully. Here's what verse 10 says. I love this section of the, of the text. 
Moses says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, and when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Moses is saying to them, listen, when you see what God's done in your life, when you see the awesomeness of His provision and His promise, remember that it is His grace that has provided these things. Moses says, listen, you're going to come to this incredible place, large cities, beautiful cities, and guess what? You didn't do that. You didn't build those cities. All those beautiful houses, you didn't build those houses. All those wells that provide water, you didn't dig those. All those luscious vineyards that provide food and wine, you didn't plant those. You're going from a place of slavery, a place of need, a place of malnourishment, to a place of plenty, a place of freedom, and a place of abundance. And it's all because the Lord brought you here. It is the Lord who made this happen. This, my dear friends, is the truth of the gospel. God doesn't give us what we do deserve, punishment and eternity separated from Him. And He gives us what we don't deserve, life abundant, life eternal, life of meaning and purpose, a life made whole and restored. That is what God does for us. That is the truth of the gospel. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is His grace that saves us and it is His grace that sustains us. My dear friends, the gospel is a beautiful thing. The gospel is a beautiful thing. We can't earn salvation. We can't buy it. We can't work hard enough for it. Our goodness is insufficient to secure it. But the gospel is a beautiful thing. Your eternity is not dependent on what you can do. It's dependent upon what Christ already did. The work is finished. And it was finished by Jesus on the cross at Calvary. We have to remember God's grace faithfully. I fear that at times in our homes, what our families hear more from us is about how hard we work or how hard we try, or all the various things that we do and our families hear less, here's what God's done in my life. So we obey God completely. We love God supremely. We share God diligently. We remember His grace faithfully. And lastly, we celebrate God's blessings continually. We celebrate God's blessings continually. Jump down to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 18 Verse 18 and 19 and then verse 24 and 25. Here's what God's word says. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that you may prosper and so that you may enter and possess the good land the Lord your God swore to give your ancestors by driving out all your enemies before you as the Lord has said. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes to fear the Lord your God for your prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. In verse 25, righteousness will be ours if we're careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. 
we get to enjoy God's blessings and celebrate God's blessings continually. Why? Because God is faithful in His promises. Moses is saying, listen, don't forget that what you're getting here is the fulfillment of a promise. This land that you're getting, it's always been yours because God promised it. He told your ancestors that they would get this land. They were disobedient to the promise, so it was delayed, but it's always been theirs, and now it's going to be yours. God is making good on His promises. Did you know that there's over 4,000 promises in the Bible? Promises of salvation and protection, healing and deliverance, wisdom and peace, joy and strength, power and presence, riches and renewal. The list is massive. God is faithful in His promises. But God is also faithful in His provision. Moses told them in verse 24 that all of these things that he was asking them to do were for their prosperity always and for their preservation. We have to remember God's faithfulness in meeting our every single need in this world. Over and over again in the Word of God, we're told that God will meet every single need we have if we will but trust in Him. The Bible is filled with stories of His faithfulness to His people. Providing Adam a perfect helper, providing a way of escape for the Israelites through the Red Sea, providing food for the people in the wilderness, fish for his disciples while fishing, sight to a blind man, the ability to walk to a lame man, healing of a sick girl, freedom to a possessed boy, and mostly to every single one of us in here who claim Christ this morning, salvation to you and to me. God is faithful if we will but trust in Him. In 1993, Wendy and I married. And about a year later, we left the area where we were living and where I was pastoring, and uh, we went to Southwestern Seminary where uh, I eventually got several degrees. And shortly after we went to uh, Southwestern, we started applying for jobs. And, you know, that's not a big deal. You go to a new area, you start applying for jobs. And we were convinced God wanted us to do ministry, so I started applying for ministry jobs, went through the church ministry relations office at the seminary, and and, uh, they send your resume out to all these churches and, you know, to help you find a ministry job. And we weren't getting any calls. Not a single call were we getting. And we thought, this is just weird not to get a single call. Like, why, why why aren't we even getting any calls? This is crazy. One month passed, two months passed, three months passed, no calls, no job offer. And Wendy and I are wondering, Lord, why won't you, why won't you give us a ministry position? And so I start thinking, well, I'll just go to work anywhere. I can go to work on the grounds crew. I can go pick up trash. I can go to work at Walmart. But we were convinced that the Lord was saying to us, just wait. So three months passed. We waited. We traveled home to our family in Mississippi, where we're from, and on our way home, uh, my home church pastor called, and he said, hey, Tate, would you like to preach on Sunday night while you guys are here? I said, sure, that'd be great. So on that Sunday night, I preached, got to the end of the service, and at the end of the sermon, gave the invitation, and during the invitation, a man came forward, talked to our pastor, and, uh, and then sat down on the front row, and then after the invitation was over, uh, our pastor told this guy, he said, you know, this guy has something he wants to say to the church. So the guy got up and he said to the church, you know, I, 
I don't know why God told me to do this in the service, but, you know, uh, while Tate was preaching and during the invitation, I just felt led to do this. And he came up to our pastor and he handed our pastor uh, a bill of money. It was what we later learned was a $100 bill. And he said, I just want Tate and Wendy to have this. And the uh, pastor said, you know, hey, come come to the front, you know, at the end of the service and come shake Tate and Wendy's hand and tell them you're glad to see them. And so services ended and everybody came forward and they're shaking our hand and hugging our neck and telling us they love us and, you know, we're praying for us as we're away in Texas. When Wendy and I got in the car to leave to go to drive across town to see some friends of ours, I told Wendy, I said, sweetheart, I... uh." I have money in every pocket. Like, as people were coming through the line, they were like putting money in my hand. It was the weirdest thing. So I pulled all of it out and I handed it to her and I said, just count it. Just tell me how much it is. And we had done bills. The last thing we did before we left our apartment in Texas, the last thing we had done was our bills. So I knew exactly how much it was going to take for us to live. $1,397, $1,397, that, was our bill, that were our bills that we had to pay whenever we got home. So she counted in and she said, you're never going to believe this. And I said, what? She said, there's $1,350 here. So we're crying, we're celebrating, we're praising the Lord. God, you're so good to us. We're driving across town to go see two of our friends in the church where I've been serving as pastor. We get to the couple's house, and when we walk in the door, as soon as we walk in the door, the husband greets us, hugs my neck. Hey, Pastor Tate, how you doing? He says, Brother Tate, can you come back here in the back? i got something I want to show you. I said, sure. I, I, I'm from Mississippi, right? So I think he's taking me back there to go show me a gun or something. you know. <laughs> so we're going, back to, we're going back to the back, and we get back in his room, and no joke, he closes the door behind him, And as soon as he closes the door behind him, he turns to me. He's got big old crocodile tears in his eyes. And he says, Brother Tate, please don't be offended. I've never done anything like this before in my life. Please don't, but please don't be offended. And he reaches in the bib of his overalls and he pulls out a $50 bill and says, For the last hour, God has been telling me that I'm supposed to give this to you. So, of course, now I'm just a blubbering idiot you know like I'm crying Wendy's out front with the wife she's telling Wendy the story about how God has been all over her husband for the last you know hour and and you know he's really been upset about it because he didn't understand the reason why God was asking him to do it and of course we said we know exactly the reason why God was asking him to do it $1,400 on $1,397 worth of bills celebrate God's blessings continuously. If I were to ask those of you in this room to stand up and testify of God's goodness and grace at work in your life, my guess is every single one of you would have a story just like that, if not multiple stories just like that. And for us to pass on faith to the next generation, the next generation has to hear those stories. They have to hear us celebrating the goodness of God in our life. So, we obey God completely. We love God supremely. We share God diligently. We remember God's grace faithfully. And we celebrate God's blessings continuously. Now, here's the temptation. 
in the world that we live in today. The temptation when we hear those numbers about 106 million people leaving the faith and a 40 million net loss and all of that, 66 million net loss. When we hear that, it's real easy for us to hear those numbers and to hear this sermon and say something needs to change out there. But I would remind all of us that this, this series of sermons that Moses is preaching, he's not preaching to the pagans. He's preaching to the children of Israel. He's preaching to us in here, and he's not just preaching to us in here. He's preaching to us in here. We can't possibly hope to pass on faith to the next generation. We can't possibly hope to pass on faith in our homes if we don't first possess faith in our heart. It has to begin with you, and it has to begin with me. We obey God completely. We love God supremely. Share God diligently. Remember God's grace faithfully and celebrate God's blessings continuously. Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful for the blessing of being able to be in your house and be able to study your word this morning. Uh, God, we do not deserve your goodness, but we are grateful to be recipients of how you lavish us with your love and your grace and your mercy, and it's because of your great character. And so, God, I pray this morning that as we consider the words of Moses, that we would pass on these ordinances and these statutes and these rules and these commands that you had spoken to him, that as we consider that for our families, God, would you help us obey you, to love you with our worship and with our surrender as we pass on faith by telling the stories of your goodness and your grace at work in our lives. God, would you have your way with your people this morning? Would you allow your spirit to convict where conviction is needed? And God, if there is someone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, would you convict them today that they might come to know you? We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.